0: The XTC podcast. What
1: do you call that noise?
0: Okay, so Lucas, you're going to play um, some drumming by your favourite drummer, um, which obviously will be me.
1: No, it's Terry Seamus, but you are a very good drummer yourself.
0: Okay, so uh, you had to say that because if you hadn't, you would have been sent to bed without any tea. Uh, drumming is obviously a very sophisticated thing. You've had this drum kit for, um, since Christmas now, although if you rehearsed it, rehearsed a lot more, you'd actually be quite a lot better than you are, but you are pretty good, as people are going to hear in a moment when you play this. Can you just talk us through the various components of the uh, ensemble of percussion instruments that you have in front of you?
2: No. So we have the... Snare drum, we got the bass, we got the full tom, we've got the hi-hat, and we got the tom.
0: Right, so you just it's them, right?
1: Uh, I don't know what that means.
0: Well, I was doing an impression of Terry Chambers. Um, right, so, over to you, pal.
3: That was seven-year-old Lucas showing his prowess on the drums in the company of Stephen Jackson, showing quality parenting skills. Thank you very much, Lucas, for kicking off this Making Plans for Nigel-themed episode of What Do You Call That Noise? The XTC Podcast. I'm Mark Fisher, and this time we're going to be talking not so much about the song itself as about the influence it continues to hold on the culture 40 years after its release. Only the other day, on the XTC's Limelight Facebook page, Swazik de Singen Ross observed there are currently three adverts that use the Making Plans for Nigel progression, and that didn't include Santa Gold's Disparate Youth, which was used heavily by an insurance company a few years ago. Uh, well worth listening to that on, on YouTube to see what I mean. Uh, beyond that, the phrase Making Plans for Nigel has gained a life of its own, independent of the song. Few headline writers, for example, can resist using it whenever Nigel Farage or any other famous Nigel is in the news. Coming up in this episode is Tom Clark, formerly of The Enemy, whose Chronicles of Nigel, which is just released, brings Colin Moulding's character into the 21st century, as well as Laurie Nankavell from Squid, whose song Houseplants name checks making plans for Nigel. In that conversation, we'll be making links between 1979, 2009 and 2021 and thinking about Nigel's shifting place in the cultural landscape. 1979, as older listeners will know, was the year Margaret Thatcher came to power in the UK, a couple of months before Making Plans for Nigel was released. And although you wouldn't call it an overtly political song, it came after a period of industrial unrest. It reflects an era when working-class parents would think an office job with British Steel would guarantee a safe and reliable future for their son. In those days, British Steel was a nationalised industry supported by Labour governments to keep employment high in depressed regions, so it did look like a safe job until the free market policies of the Thatcher government led to its privatisation in 1988 and consequent job losses. So by 2009, when Tom Clark sang Be Somebody with The Enemy, which was the first time he imagined a future for Nigel, the line was, there ain't no future in British Steel. In that song, to quote him, Nigel got a job in the city, works in a department store. In 2019, Squid's houseplants included making plans for Nigel as part of a howl of rage by a band, and I'm quoting, looking for a future that doesn't exist. Before we get into all that, we're going to a Manchester brewery. But first, a thank you to the generous supporters on Patreon who went to Patreon.com/forward/slash/MarkFisher, where they became Pink Things, Humble Daisies, and Knights in Shining Karma. Thanks to all of you for making this podcast possible. I'll name check the Knights in Shining Karma at the end of this episode.
2: What do you call that noise?
3: Now, never let it be said that we don't do our research on the XDC podcast. With me now is Alex Parkinson from Alphabet Brewing, a Manchester company which has been making hop-forward and fruit-led beers since 2014 and whose range includes, wait for it, making pints for Nigel. And if you look at the can, you'll recognise the familiar Jill Mumford primary colours from drums and wires and illustrations of a whole host of Nigels, including Nigel Kennedy, the violinist, Nigella Lawson, the TV chef, and Nigel Planer from The Young Ones. At least those are the ones that I recognise. Alex, where did the idea come from?
1: <laughs> a, a variety of, of things, really. Um, so we have a colleague, Nigel, um, and he's quite uh, quite diligent in his work. for so quite... Gets on, gets on with stuff. Um, from that, we, we started quite regularly playing, making, uh, making fans for Nigel in the, in the brewery. It sort of became an almost daily tradition. <laughs> uh, and we thought, what, what better way to, uh, to commemorate the man than uh, to put him on a beer label? He, um, he quite regularly demands that we, he drinks out of a, a pint glass as well at our tap room, even though we usually sell our beer in two-thirds of a pint size. So he's the uh, the only person who gets pints. So it all tied in quite well together.
3: That's fantastic.
1: <laughs> he's also quite uh quite unwilling to be on uh have photos taken of him. So uh we thought it would be quite fun to have him. He's the he's the one who's sort of the central Nigel on our uh, on our label surrounded by all the famous Nigels
3: so he's the one i don't recognize Then yeah. that makes sense it's, it's funny because i'm, I'm always I'm seeing people on twitter who whose name is nigel and they you know, the only reason i spot them is because they're complaining that uh, their school days were made uh you know ruined by the, this song that was on the radio and all their friends uh skitting at them all the time but um <laughs> nigel is, is your nigel proud to be a nigel then
1: he says they're a rare breed and they uh, said they uh no Nigel should know, should know other Nigels or acknowledge other Nigels, but there's a, there's a sort of a, a nod between other Nigels.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I think, I think, I think the name Nigel has sort of gone out of fashion, hasn't it? But I think people, nobody's been christened Nigel anymore, so it's, it's, a, it's very much a generational thing. Oh, it's definitely a
1: dying name. I think uh, I think there's a uh, there's, there's few of our, uh, our Nigels in his early 40s, but I don't know how many of them. Nigel Serrar, who who is it is fun to use now.
3: Are the sort of closet XDC fans in in the brewery, or is it is it just the coincidence of his name?
1: It, but it was ma- it was mainly sort of uh, that. I mean, we we we, we really like the song as well. It was uh, it's it's ha- it's hardly been a uh, been a pain to have to uh, to listen to that song every day.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and is and is it is it going down well with your customers? Yeah, the it is going really well. I think we've um, we planned to, to brew it again. Um,
1: Hey, the the the, basically the the beer as well the the concept behind the actual beer um rather than the label is that Nigel isn't one for sort of our more modern style styles of beer as well, so we wanted to make something something different to what we usually do because we're they're quite known for our sort of uh yeah you know, random ingredient heavy beers and our i p a s but um this was our first go at making a traditional bitter uh, which is something that Nigel's more interested in drinking so um we we basically made. Effectively, a Boddington's clone or what Boddington's might have been like uh, 30 years ago. So um, we actually use an old yeast from uh, like what was the Boddington's brewery used to use. And we use very traditional ingredients throughout the beer as well. So it, it all encompasses our Nigel as well as you know, everything around, around making plants
3: for Nigel. I hope he's very happy about this. He's got a, he's got the whole the tin design after his name and the beer made in his honour.
1: <laughs> no, he's very chuffed. We we uh, we all take turns to 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 put ourselves on the, on the beer labels as well. So I think there's I think there's uh, ten of us here, and I think six of us have been on labels so far. We're trying to get everybody on there bit by bit.
3: And is it is it still available? You said you were going to brew it again. Is it available at the moment? Yeah, it's
1: currently currently available on our web shop. Yeah, Alphabet UK slash web shop. But yeah, we we plan to probably brew it, brew it a few more times. it's, it's been uh, been a really successful beer not just for the sales but also really happy with the quality of the beer. I think you know for the first time was this brewery trying to do something slightly different. You know we we we're always making silly modern beer styles and to do something traditional. The first time, and it go well, and a you know, really, really big success
3: for us. That's been lovely to talk to you, and and um, maybe we should get the the real Nigel on <laughs> at some point as well. What's 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 you, Nigel's surname?
1: Uh, Lewis. You you will not get him, uh, Get him on a phone or
3: uh, a camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's famous enough now, anyway. I think he's got a, he's got a whole can named after him. <laughs> <laughs> um, well great well good luck with this as you say alphabetbrewing.co.uk is where people can find you and find the beer if they want to order it and uh, thank you very much for doing this it's great no worries.
1: I'm that. what do you call that noise when
3: people ask Colin Moulding on Facebook about about making pints for Nigel he replied that Nigel worked in the offices he doesn't drink beer then he added I think he had a moose forced on him one Christmas at the office party and acquired a taste apart from that he's teetotal musak incidentally was a british sparkling wine so that's what he's thinking of there i emailed colin molding to tell him i was doing this podcast and he emailed me back and said anyone can play with my nigel as much as they like which is good news hello tom we don't have to go to court <laughs> <laughs> so far, yeah. <laughs> so far. Um, and joining us is Laurie Nankovell of Squid. Hi, hi Laurie. Hello. Hi, Dem. Very good. Thank you very much. It's great to have you on. Thank you for joining us. And Laura Wade, who is at the center of a Venn diagram of fans of XDC, fans of The Enemy, and fans of Squid. She's right in the center of all that. And even more coincidentally, she lives just up the road from me. So that's very convenient. Hello, Laura. How are you doing? Hello. Good to, good to see you. Tom, I did read that Be Somebody was written in a much the same manner of, as Senses Working Overtime was written, in the sense that you got the uh, record company saying, we need a hit single, can you write something? Is all right? Pretty much,
4: um, yeah. they um, would kind of said we want another Had Enough in reference to our, our highest chart in single to date. Um, and if, if you listen to the chords of Be Somebody, it pretty much is Had Enough, um, but... The sort of the, the, the subject matter was the, the bit that interested me on it, um, and that, that's where, where I kind of at that time I was totally obsessed with the song, making Plants for Job
3: And, and was it just making plans for Nigel, or did you have a wider interest in XTC? Uh,
4: it, I'd love to say I had a wider interest in XTC. I, I'd heard some of their other stuff, um, mm-hmm. but it, it was just that song I had an obsession with. I played it every single day. Every sound check we'd go to, Liam, our drummer, would play the beat, I'd not not of his own fruition. I'd make Liam, our drummer, play the beat <laughs> um, and, uh, and try and figure out the guitar part. And I'm, I'm not a great guitarist, so it, it kind of it took a bit, but. But yeah, I was just totally obsessed with it back then.
3: And how did how did he get on with the beat? Because I'm told that from drummers that it's a, a simple beat to play once you get your head around it, but everything's back to front and upside down and you don't hit the things that you expect to hit. Yeah,
4: no, Liam, um, Liam was a far better drummer than he ever got to show he was in The Enemy. He was a, a sort of a jazz fusion drummer, really. Um, so he, he was just happy to be playing something that wasn't four on the floor for a change.
3: Yeah, yeah. And then... It's it's intriguing that lyrically you were then interested in 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 the song because you know it's what the first thing you hear about the, hear the song is is that drum beat and the the whole sound of it. But you got right into the skin of, of of who Nigel was
4: and yeah, I mean I I think it's I think it's really dark and the cynical bit in me loves that. It's um you know it's written with such enthusiasm and and positivity at a time when the the country was really about to. You know everything that was being manufactured in in great britain was about to be um sort of just gotten rid of and and so it's there's this this deep dark cynical irony in there but it's delivered in such a uh an assertively positive way it's um i just loved that juxtaposition yeah yeah
3: and i, I think it's interesting historically because you don't necessarily think of Making Plans for Nigel as being a political song, but in, in the political climate it came out of 1979, Margaret Thatcher came to power. That was just a couple of months before it was released. And and uh, there was, it came after a period of industrial re- re- unrest, uh, but it also reflects an era when working class parents could think an office job with British steel would guarantee a sort of safe and reliable future for their son so it's interesting then to think about what happened by the time 2009 came around and there was no security in that sort of way for, for somebody in, in Nigel's position
4: yeah mm. it's maybe the maybe the last year of of job security and being able to have a job for life and then by the time be somebody was written we were really sort of right in the middle of that generation who didn't get jobs for lives the idea of a, a career when I was sort of 20 was you, you had to be really, really smart and really clever, and me and most of my mates weren't.
3: Laurie, the reason immediately for bringing you on is that your fantastic song House Plants, Squid's fantastic songs House Plants, makes reference to making plans for Nigel, and, and this is a song now that's 40 years old. So, uh, being an old man myself, I regard that as, as, as somebody of your age who would be referring to something by, I don't know, Gracie Fields or something.
5: Kids are
3: Uh, What does Making Plans for Nigel mean to Squid?
5: Well, I guess around the time of writing that track, we'd all been listening to a lot of XTC. And I think musically, they've influenced us quite a lot in their eclecticism and eccentricism. Like I think we have often been a band which straddle genre and I think they definitely were back in the day. Lyrically, Ollie also took inspiration from Colin Moulding. And in fact, he left a little note for me to say about that lyric because he couldn't join us today. And he said, in a time where I was working a lot for not much money in London, I felt a resonance with Nigel. There always seems to be a high authority that has a plan for you. I read an interview with Colin Moulding on the bus to work, and he said that he imagined Nigel working in an office, and I thought, that's me. From then on, Nigel became a kind of timeless figure of the young and disenfranchised,
3: and that's why I popped him in the song. And that, that sounds very much what you're thinking, Tom. That, that's that exactly right?
4: what I just said, I only said it in a much more <laughs> eloquent yeah. and, and thoughtful way.
3: Well, <laughs> that, that's Ollie for you. Yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he got time to write it down, though. He got time to think about it. <laughs> And then, Tom, this is then fascinating that you've returned to that character. You've you've, you've sort of t- taken the baton from Colin Moulding, written it once, and then you've returned in uh, 2020, 2021 with the Chronicles of Nigel.
4: Do you remember when we fell in love? Where are we now? What happened to us? Honeymoon ends. A blink. Seven years of dirty dishes piled up in the sink.
3: And the idea is that you're catching up with Nigel all these years later. Is that right?
4: Yeah. So with my Nigel this time, because obviously in 2009, I imagined if XTC's Nigel was a time traveller, or you were able to sort of pick him up and plonk him in 2009, and he'd be the same age and at the same point in his life. But rather than being in 79, he was in 2009. Um, did that, left it, and then, yeah, in um, in 2019, um, or 2018, I think it probably really started, um, decided to check back in on that, Nigel, and see what he was up to where he'd be in his life
3: and what we discover i've had the privilege of hearing it already and it, and it covers we've got sour marriages in there we've got drinking we've got affairs we've got street fights we've got sexual experimentation we've got split families it's it's quite a bleak picture isn't it <laughs> yeah
4: it's pretty clear. <laughs> yeah i think i think it's a reasonably accurate picture though of um of the bits of british society that people don't write songs about the bit the yeah. bits we don't really discuss have you conce- can cuz
3: i i hear it as a sort of it is it's obviously as a a, a group set of songs so that makes it a a concept album if you like i don't do you see it as a concept album do you see it as a, as a stepping stone to a musical it feels it feels very musical in its tone to me
4: uh it it could end up as a musical if you could find a theatre willing to commission a work with the the amount of profanity and graphic sexual references in it um that there are which i think you might have a, <laughs> a tough job maybe a a short film short film something we are looking into um mm-hmm. i am about two-thirds of the way through the script for either a short film or an audiobook um so there's the possibility but it i mean it's it, but to be honest with you it's been hard enough making the record without the help of a record label so to have even managed to make the record feels like a huge achievement let alone anything else that might follow it
3: well do you want to say something about that because the it's, it strikes me that you know you can write be somebody you've got one song but to write a whole i think have you, you've got 11 songs on this you know that that means 11 ideas that have got to be different and and somehow unified and and maybe telling a story between them and so on. it's that's quite a big undertaking isn't it
4: yeah it's a crazy undertaking i wouldn't recommend anyone ever does it It's taken up two years of my life, and it's been really fun at times, and it's been hell at times. But it it pushed me in terms of my ability of what I can do. I've spent the last sort of ten years of my career writing snappy little pop songs with big choruses that people can get drunk to and uh, and and chant along with, and you know that's that's kind of what I do. And to to take this on was. quite scary I didn't tell anyone I was doing it because I thought there was a real good chance that we would start it and what I was doing wouldn't be good enough and and I'd have to scrap it or we'd you know we'd, we'd, we'd stumble somewhere along the way or we wouldn't have the money to do it but it, yeah it's, it's a huge undertaking having done it though it's incredibly satisfying listening to a coherent piece of work at the end of it um, and so I think it's something that we are definitely going to do again um, in terms of a conceptual album with a, a cohesive narrative all the way through so it, it, it's been it's been very hard but it it's incredibly rewarding so it, it'll be repeated
3: how do you do it on a practical level do you, sit, do you just sit down and start with song one and work your way through or is it um oh i'll write song five and then oh here i've got song seven
4: we were incredibly organized about it in a very un rock and roll and boring way we started out with mood boards and lists of words. Um, so one of the first things we did was made lists of words that we thought were British to, that America wouldn't understand. And part of the brief for this was if America gets this record, we've failed. This needs to be so British that it's almost like an inside joke. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then we did these mood boards of sort of imagery and things. Um, so the film Bob, Sue, and Rita Two, which is where the Bob and Sue reference comes from on the record, um, yeah. you know that the imagery in that is again so British that we we sort of that was always on the mood board, and and then just the, the British attitude to sex and how weird we are about it compared to Europe and America, and uh, and so we we created all these mood boards before I'd ever written a note, um, and then in terms of the order that I wrote stuff in. I kind of picked key points on the record, so Ooh La La, the middle point of the record, was one of the, the first ones that we wrote just because it, it gave me a, a midpoint to sort of swing around. and. Ooh, la La, he's had on the front seat of the family
1: car In some seedy corner
4: of some old a car park they'd kissed before but this meant more and then the very beginning of the record once I worked out who nigel was which again there was lots of sort of we, we delved right into nigel's life before i'd even written a note we knew where he lived what he drove what his job was how many kids he'd accidentally have the wife that he was married to and loved to bits but was dissatisfied with we, we knew what carpet he had in his lounge before i wrote any lyrics <laughs> and um and so yeah, then sort of started at the beginning, started at the end. So I had these three, these three points: um, the, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And then sort of threaded the, the story along it. Um, and the, there were some quite tricky points. So uh, track three, when he spots this barmaid and sort of falls in lust, or, or or he feels he's fallen in love with her, that was a really tricky one to write because the, the tricky or the trick was to get as much information in there using as few words as possible because
3: mm. it,
4: it'd be really clumsy if we just told the story in loads of words you know the music had to carry a lot of the weight of that of you know as a sort of a, a cinematic or, or, or narrative telling tool um so it, it's tricky when you get to the the point where you want to express that Nigel's happy with his marriage, sort of, but he's a bit dissatisfied, and he's now seeing this barmaid who he fancies, and, OK, he's maybe cheated on his missus before, but is he going to do it again? Looks like he is. And you've got to get all that across in one song. Oh, and by the way, he's drunk, and his mate's there, and he needs to put his hand on your shoulder and say, don't let him do it. It's. It, there were some very tricky tracks to, to orchestrate.
3: Both you and Squid started off from, from the situation of saying uh, you recognise something in Nigel. In making plans for Nigel, the original one that that that, that spoke to the experience that you'd had, do, have, do you have to like Nigel, or do you like the Nigel that you find in Chronicles of Nigel as as the character you want to spend a whole album with?
4: I think as your kind of typical anti-hero, he's um, you root for him, but he's not a particularly likable chap. You know, he's um, he's married with kids, and he's he's made this huge commitment, although he probably hasn't really thought about it he's found himself married with kids um and he he says in you know in track three he's cheated on his wife before but got away with it um and he's about to make the same mistake again and you kind of that's the point really where you quite early on in the record you lose a bit of that sympathy for him and and think all right Mm. you know this nigel's maybe a, a bit of a dick. Um, but it's um, you still I still root for him the whole way through and especially at the end when you know his whole world's become completely unravelled um, and he you know he's starting to even question free will at that point is he just a product of his environment so I I root for him but I don't particularly like him.
1: What
3: do you call that noise, now, Laura? From 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 a musical point of view, do you hear any connections? Between the music of XTC and the music of Squid.
2: Oh yeah, something that I really like about the lyrics in Squid is similar to XTC is these kind of observations that you know like come from life and the cleaner and stuff. I I know that's from when he worked in FOP Mm. and like it's really bizarre because I was working in FOP and I loved that song and I kind of thought like because I was always reading the banner saying rock and pop and not like seeing all the DVDs and I was like oh that is just like my life, and then I realized that he actually worked. yeah, but yeah, I was wondering if he keeps like or do, do you share the lyric writing process, and if you keep journals, or how does
5: uh, how does that work We don't in so far as explicitly share any lyric writing. The lyrics are usually written by the person that sings them, so that's predominantly Ollie and then Lily and anton yeah. occasionally sing but. It does feel that because we spend a lot of time together and we're, you know, we're good friends with each other, that those ideas conglomerate and then come out in a nice yeah. format. I think, especially at the time of houseplants, we we'd all read to quote not the Mark Fisher here, but his namesake. And Mark Fisher, the deceased, had written a book called Ghost of My Life, which speaks about how Uh, lots of musical and art forms becoming cyclical in quite a depressing manner and this this concept of hauntology which is, I probably can't do justice here but the idea that music and art forms harking back to the 70s and decades that have gone by and not being able to break free of this cycle because of certain references that things always refer back to and he he thinks we've got he he thinks we've got stuck in a cultural rut and that was obviously well apart from being depressive partly why yeah he he had
3: a bit of a sad end um yeah yeah so, yes, I've I've missed my opportunity because we, as well as having a, an episode that's about lots of Nigel's, I could have had it presented by lots of Mark Fishers if he yeah. sadly has died already, but there are a few Mark Fishers out yeah. there. <laughs> but yeah, that's and and uh, it, I, it, in the same way that that Tom has an interest in in sort of reflecting the politics of his day, it sounds like uh, Squid lyrically is interested in being about something, gonna be about about life today. Mm.
4: Mm.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I I guess, like,
5: we're we're constantly changing as a band, which is fun. But lyrically, I think, as well, to some extent, I feel like the EP you've heard and that's released is quite observational, like you say. And perhaps this next album, it becomes ever so slightly more inward-looking, but still, to some extent, observing. There's a track which is quite, like, Ballardian, J.G. Ballard, in that it kind of takes a reference of the concrete island and looking up at high-rises below you, but puts it into a kind of modern-day context. And instead of looking up at a few high-rises, you're looking at the massive uh, GlaxoSmithKline building as you leave London on the West London flyover
3: and let's get a bit of practical information out there. You've been recording the album. You have recorded the album in lockdown. What, 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 it, what, what, when will it be? Where, what will it be? When can people hear it, do you reckon?
5: Very early next year, you'll hear some stuff from it. And sometime in the first half of next year, you'll, the album will be
3: released. And this episode actually will be coming out in 2021. So we're talking about this year now. So it's a 2021 album. Okay. And... And do we have a name for it yet? Uh, not yet. Not so far as we can disclose.
5: However, depends when this... We nearly got an exclusive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. not yet. But <laughs> it's coming. It, names are hard, we've decided, between the five of us. They <laughs> often...
3: The first album by Squid. That yeah, could yeah. Be a
2: title. yeah. <laughs> I was also like listening to a interview where Ollie said that like phase one of squid was jazz and phase two is was punk Mm. and I was just wondering if there's like a new direction or have you evolved like is it evolved in any way or is it just combining the two a bit more
5: Uh, I guess that kind of like I said earlier that genres are something we we straddle quite a lot Mm. and it's interesting because as soon as we got described as post-punk I started listening to a lot of bands that were post-punk. I'd never really delved into it as a genre much before. So immediately you kind of like mm. get directed down that funnel towards post-punk. Yeah. But we've all got a massive variety of musical influences and some of which mm. definitely don't cross over. You know, I, I, I'm I'm pretty big into electronic music myself, but Anton's not so keen on it but then he's got like an incredible yeah. understanding of malian music and like the the ways in which those two combine uh mm. whether there's a new genre work we're, we're aiming at i don't know i think the last track we kind of we're writing some music at the moment and the last one sounds like it takes some elements from fugues with Classical feuds, so I don't know. Well,
2: yeah, and you're bringing more instruments on it this album.
5: Yeah, yeah, we've got some. Well, some tracks were scored for strings and horns.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What What are your like jazz and ambient influences? Because I know like Duds and well XTC, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, more. I was wondering about the other bands that you like outside of that.
5: The kind of Southeast London jazz scene at the moment is is pretty fun and inspiring, you know, Nabia Garcia and Sons of Kemet mm. and that kind of scene where it's quite integrated and there's lots of bands playing within quite a small circle near each other, I find, especially as a kind of cornet and trumpeter myself, has been pretty inspiring
3: i'm interested in the I, I suppose because i used to do the xtc fanzine a long long time mm. ago uh, from from a long long time past from you know from the, from the early 80s pe- when people did things on cassettes people would send me cassettes of their music uh, and if they obviously they were xtc fans and quite a lot of the time the music sounded like a sort of Someone pretending to be XTC but not getting it quite right, mm. <laughs> uh, and 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 sort of I wasn't. I'm never really interested. I never have been interested in in music that's just because it sounds like XTC. Because I think, well, I've got XTC already, and it strikes me that the sort of music that I do like, uh, and I would include Squid in this, is that it it doesn't sound it doesn't sound on the surface at all like XTC. Mm. But there's maybe something similar in the attitude and the approach and the eclecticism the openness to experiment and, and new uh, new sounds and whatever. Do, 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 do you feel a, an influence in in that sort of, a, abstract isn't quite the right word, but sort of a, 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 not on a literal, I'm going to sound like Statue of Liberty?
5: I don't know how XDC's creative processes worked. I know that Andy Partridge and Colin Moulding were songwriters in a sense it's probably quite different from the way we make music but I think you know if you put our five minds into the mind of anti Partridge it'd be nice to to think that there's some similarities with us five as a macrocosm of what goes on in his head
3: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah five, five squared equals one anti
5: Partridge yeah maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah what goes on in our rehearsal studio with the five of us is yeah is is somewhat what's going on in his head maybe which obviously means because it's his own idea it does create songs which are more defined and pushed by the lyrics and have a slight maybe slightly easier structurally to follow whereas i feel like ours can be a bit more complex isn't the right word so i don't think that but one person within the band can influence the others which then takes the music in a different direction it feels slightly less mono led if
3: that kind of makes sense maybe I don't know Mm. yeah 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 Yeah. and probably as a result of that you you sound you end up sounding like squid you don't end up sounding like anybody else because you couldn't possibly bring five people into a room and get all of them to contribute and then suddenly end up sounding like uh, you know anybody you're always going to sound the the sum of your influences in that Definitely. Respect. Yeah, I'm right in thinking, aren't I, that you grew up listening to XTC, so XTC was was a part of your childhood soundtrack. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, definitely.
5: Um, my dad's a huge XTC fan, and I feel like he he probably embodies the similar ideas of eclecticism and it, it, to some degree like British eccentricism. <laughs> Which Andy Partridge had and has. Um, and I think he's pushed that onto me. Yeah, which is good. I feel like it, it can get to a point in a Rick Squid rehearsal where I'm very, not afraid, but I get bored easily by music that sounds like a lot of music that's already come out, especially in the kind of classic rock sense or the like classic punk sense. I don't know. I guess that's why to some degree I I still play the cornet in the band because I worry when it gets to two guitars, bass, synth and drums, uh, it
3: can quite easily end up sounding like a
5: lot of other bands.
3: Yeah. Mm. And yes, it's reminding me, what you're saying is reminding me of i think i think a lot of musicians say about about xdc is that you know just in terms of melody for example you expect a melody to go in one direction then it heads off in a in a different direction or you know you expect a logical third chord after you've played the first two chords but actually they'll come up with a a Hmm. different one so there's that sense of continually surprising you and second guessing yeah definitely what do you call that noise Uh, Back to the Chronicles of Nigel, which is out now and available at tomclarkmusic.bigcartel.com From a musical point of view, anybody who did grow up with The Enemy and those big choruses, actually, Laura, maybe you want to chip in here, you know, those big choruses of The Enemy and whatever, might be surprised to find you know, the influences I can hear are Broadway musicals, musical, spaghetti western soundtracks. I don't know if I'm being fanciful there. French chanson. <laughs> and you've got a duet in there as well. It's, it's a pretty um, un-rock-and-roll influence, I suppose, isn't it?
4: Yeah. Uh, as an Enemy fan, will you, be, will you be gutted that there aren't sort of massive Enemy choruses? Or, or are you sort of at a point where you could appreciate a song on an accordion that's half sung in French?
2: Oh no, definitely. That sounds great. No, I I like I appreciate any band that goes in a different direction, and that's something that I liked about XTC and Squid as well. So that's no, cool. I was just, I was wondering if did you did you go on to listen to more of XTC after like since then since you wrote Be Somebody?
4: Yeah, I've done a bit, but it's um it's like. It's like trying to sort of um date someone who looks like your ex because it's to me making plans for nigel was i mean literally every day was the first song i put on in the morning every day for a long time and so yeah then to play xtc's other stuff is kind of like uh what's this it's not making plans yeah. for nigel it's sort of i can hear it's them but it, it it's just there's this familiar and unfamiliar and it will it, never quite be the same as that one track. Um, that's that's really interesting. Yeah. But it, I was
2: just, I, I just made this, like, I was trying to make kind of connections between the two and um, I don't know, well, I guess you've probably not heard it, but I thought the song day in day out, which is about the lyrics are kind of about working in a shop as well. And about how like humdrum and like miserable that is. And, that's sort of the pathway for many people. I work in a shop, uh, the co-op at the moment, and I just thought maybe because you have the song um, "Nation of Checkout Girls" as well, is very similar in like ilk of like lyric writing. So I presumed that maybe you had, yeah, because they 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 do the narrative a lot in their in yeah in a lot of their albums. So I thought maybe anyway that was all.
4: I think it's um it's maybe Pandora's box that you're opening because I. I I think as I, as I start, to, I love it when there's a narrative in the song, and if I if I start to listen to it, it's probably the beginning of more hard two year concept records. <laughs> but, yeah. But, um, but yeah, the nation of checkout girls is the same subject matter. You know, it, it's yeah, the it, it's a play on words of the expression "a nation of shopkeepers," which is what the, the British always described as. But um, yeah, you know, it, we're we're not a nation shop. Anymore, we we tend to not own our own businesses. We we mm. sort of further down the the food chain, yeah. and, and um, and I I used to work in a co-op shop as well. Um, that's where I yeah. worked selling TVs. Was a was a co-op, um, <laughs> and so I, I've felt it and I've lived it, and um,
2: yeah,
4: and so yeah, it, it inevitably creeps out in the music. But I, I think there's a a load of disenfranchised young people that end up in bands, and they do one or two things you I think you either write about what you see which is that that reality or you you sort of write about disconnected escapist stuff for me Mm. the best form of escapism was always reflection you know it was always looking back at where where I was just before I was in a rehearsal room with a guitar in my hand or what's a piano and I, I don't know. I find it, mm. I find it cathartic in a way.
3: Mm. Does that does that strike a chord with you, yeah, Laurie, and your sure. the approach that the Squid? Um, I guess
5: less uh, explicitly because I, I don't write so many of the lyrics, but definitely feels like um, your thoughts and feelings of what's going on around you, often, especially in the past year of the absolute mayhem that's been going on, is reflected in in our music and. To some extent, the
4: lyrics, yeah. The lyrics in Houseplants, by the way, are spectacular. Just, <laughs> just amazing. I right. spent my time looking for a future that doesn't exist. I think amazing could, could be the strapline for our entire generation. And this is my beautiful house, <laughs> and I can't afford to live in it. It is. This is my beautiful. You can't see it. My camera's broken. This is my beautiful house. Yeah. And I can barely, just about afford to live in it, and it's a, a, a flit between. Trying to make my garden look immaculate so mm. I can do an impression of a a, a real adult who's sort of got <laughs> their shit together, and, and just the grass being up to my knees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why does it matter? Why does any of this matter? We're we you know we're just it, we're just cogs in someone else's machine. You know, even even when you've broken out of the 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 life that that that's the obvious and um, and and. You know, you right. I'm in a band now. This is my job. It doesn't matter. I'm still a tiny cog in someone else's huge machine, and I'm really just working to make them rich. And so I, I, I completely and immediately identified with that. I think it's interesting that both of us have reflected, um, or both, you know, both bands have reflected on the 1970s because, for me, mm-hmm. I think that's when the tides began to turn. You know, I think you. There was a level of independence, even if you were. My family were; they tended to be. There were, were miners, um, but even then, you you had some autonomy. You back then, you, I think you had, or maybe it's just romanticism. I don't know, but it felt like you had more of a an opportunity to be your own person back then, and and now mm. it, it's so difficult to be creative. Um. You, so I, I find it interesting that. That you guys sort of flitted back to making plans for Nigel and, and the 1970s as well. And I wonder if it's a subconscious thing of that's when yeah. it began to end. I don't know.
5: That's it's certainly written about that 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 was the time when things started to, to go backwards to some extent. I think I'd maybe say a little bit later, maybe when things started to plateau. You know, you can like listen to there's, you can do like the classic decade thing, where if you listen to music from the nineteen fifties, and then you played something that was made in the nineteen sixties to someone from the nineteen fifties, they'd be like, they might be like, "Wow, this is completely different to what we call music and what's different." And then whether you could do the same with the twenty twenties and the twenty tens, a lot of people would question, say, so "No, that that they're like." That change hasn't happened. And whether that's, you know, people say music's genres have become saturated and like we've run out sonically of all the ends that we can go to. Um, but I guess you only run out sonically of finding new ends if you believe you've run out sonically of finding new ends. And that, that's surely a reflection of the greater human yeah. psyche and what's going on in, in the last like 40 years. I don't think that's ever something which is is has actually happened it's just how people conceptualize what's what's happened yeah if that makes
4: sense and to that i i think we're in a bit of a cultural cul-de-sac i think it's a, a reflection of um culture's overall lack of creativity and and evolution if anything i think society at wide is now headed more to a revolution than it is evolution um and i think that music sort of stagnating mm. is possibly just a reflection yeah. of that and and tom with
3: coming did, did you come to a conclusion is it too soon to have come to a conclusion that you've been able to revisit your nigel your 2000, 2009 nigel in 2020 2021 uh, has it allowed you to think about the political conditions of the world uh, 10 years on
4: well uh, so be somebody is Without being overtly political, it's a social commentary, but it has political connotations um, because it, it, it juxtapositions 2009 with 1979. Um, yeah, the Chronicles of Nigel doesn't really. It, it 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 is a social commentary because it I think it comments on the fact that there are lots of people our age who end up married who haven't necessarily questioned if that's the life for them. Definitely an awful lot who have. Unplanned families, again, without thinking about whether that's what they want, and that in itself is a, a social commentary. And the the, the the cheating, the infidelity, I think, is a, a social commentary. But it doesn't. I don't think it goes hand in hand with a political commentary this time, because it isn't juxtapositioned with another time. But I think that that in and of itself is quite reflective of a society that that has become a lot less political. You know, people. Nowadays, tend to either be very active politically, uh, and you could classify them as political activists, and have very polarizing views, or they're completely detached from it, and actually just want to get on with their life and pay their bills because they feel the system's won, and they can't change it anyway, and it doesn't matter who they'll vote for. So they're they're quite detached, and I, I would put this Nigel in that category where he doesn't have any sort of political affiliations or you know aspirations to change the world he's just he's just trying to stop the kids getting more crumbs in his Audi
3: and I can imagine in 10 years time we'd be able to look back and say oh yes that was such a 2012 2020 album you know it'll it'll reveal itself but we need the passage of time to to see that difference again
4: maybe maybe accordions are the defining sound of the 2020s we just haven't figured
3: it out yet yes Yes, you could be riding a wave of, of of sort of yeah if i'm right with my spaghetti western soundtracks maybe they're going to be the sound of 2021 <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> i've just made a a note that the but the, the back in um uh, back in 2009 nigel was working in a department store T- just tell
4: us where he's working now what's happened to him it's not made uh, overtly clear on the record um because i thought it was important to leave gaps for people to color in themselves and imagine um but obviously for me my nigel i know everything about him i decided his uh, a PE teacher because mm-hmm. he it, it's one of those professions that a lot of people slip into, you know, they, they leave school and the, the way to get a career is to kind of go back to what they know, um, which is education. And, and so mm-hmm. my Nigel has, sort of, he, he's gone and worked in a shop for a bit, but at some point he's obviously got Shelly pregnant and now he needs to earn a better crust because he's got a, you know, a, a a kid to look after which is a an honorable thing to do he, he tries to get back into a, a profession where he might earn a little bit more money but he's he's definitely not academic my nigel so he ended up being a pe teacher and in tiny detail that doesn't appear on the record but might appear in the audiobook he's also the deputy head but i feel he he might have shagged his way into that position because he definitely didn't earn it <laughs>
3: There's a lot of backstory going on here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to run it past Colin Moulding to see see whether he really approves. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you, that thing about it not being um, you want, wanting it not to be meaningful in America. I mean, even the name Nigel is such a British name and a name that's gone out of fashion. Really, isn't nobody's been called Nigel anymore? It's a very it's located very much in that era, isn't it? Of, of his mm. generation. Mm. Yeah, it's a
4: fantastic name though. I, I, if if I accidentally have a kid, I'm calling him Nigel. Um, if it's a girl, I'm calling her Nigel. It's a, this, an Irish name that mm-hmm. means uh, champion. It's a really, really
3: cool name. Oh, I didn't know that. Didn't you have a cat called called Nigel, Laura?
4: This is Nigel, yeah. Oh, that is Nigel. Hi, Nigel. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Amazing. Hiya, Nigel. But he's actually named after uh, the lead singer of Half Man, Half Biscuit. It's my dad's oh, favourite yeah. band. Cool. Ah. Yeah. There you go. That's another Nigel.
3: Yeah, I've forgotten that, Nigel. That's a good
4: Nigel. What?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, did you make a musical in two thousand and eighteen, Tom?
4: I was at the Belgrade. Yeah, I was the musical director yeah. on the musical. Um,
2: and did that influence what you the album now? Do you think?
4: Yeah, massively. I, I I accepted that job with a caveat, which was that they were they were more than prepared to sack me if I couldn't do it. I I, I didn't think I'd be able to do it. I'd never done anything like that before. I'd never worked in musical theatre. They asked me to do it and I said, yes, I will do it as long as within the first two weeks, if it becomes apparent to you that I am not going to do this well enough, you fire me. Um, Yeah. And whilst working on it, I worked quite closely with a guy called Jeff Thompson, who's a a BAFTA-winning writer. Um, Jeff used to work the doors in Coventry. He was a bouncer. Um, And he, he also worked in a factory and one day decided that he could write fiction and has written a lot of very good fiction and won awards for it. And working that closely with Jeff kind of made me just feel like maybe anything's possible. You know, you, you can do anything. It was really inspirational. And and working with the whole cast, who were much more talented than I am, just being, a, being around those creative people, really inspired me to go, OK, maybe I can, this idea that I've had that that I've sort of buried a bit because I thought I can't do it, maybe I can do it. Um, and also, I, I just watched Jeff weave a narrative through the enemy album We'll Live and Die in These Towns that, that wasn't there, it didn't exist. Um, right. And he'd turned the whole record into this one cohesive story. And I thought, if he can do that that way around, if he can take a record where there is no cohesive narrative and weave one through it successfully, then surely I can do it the other way around. You know, it should yeah. be easier to just write the narrative first and then write the music around it. So yeah, working with Jeff and all those people was um, hugely inspirational and I wouldn't have sat down to do this record if I hadn't been in that situation.
2: Oh, that's really cool. And that's, um, it's interesting how you say like being around other people made you feel like you could do things. Uh, Just like, just thinking with the pandemic, that's something that's so hard about now. Um, Just not being around people. I mean, like, it gives you time to do stuff, but also not being able to kind of collaborate and meet people face to face makes it harder to, I don't know, see those things through. I know that Mark and my dad are both writers, and they've been stuck at home and not seeing people, and I can see the effect that it has on just getting <laughs> As we wilt you...
3: away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We end up we end up doing podcasts. That's the worst it. Yeah, <laughs>
2: I'm so glad I'm working at the co-op just because. That's like, I'm living with my parents. So it's really rubbish. But like working at the co-op is my social life now. It's crazy. I think that's a really, mm-hmm.
4: uh, the, the the most poignant thing that's been said in this whole this whole podcast so far is <laughs> work, working at the co-op <laughs> is my social life now.
5: <laughs> <laughs> you
4: probably extract an album out of that. It's
5: yeah. <laughs> Ollie actually couldn't join us today because he's just got a new job working in a warehouse um, packing records at so that's the first non-squid job he's had since we signed. And uh it's interesting just to see him going back back to that world.
4: Yeah. I think the the creative industries have been completely abandoned throughout all of this. And I, I know so many people. Um, you know, my, my wife is a, a DJ and her work stopped overnight. And that was almost a you know, almost a year ago now. It's it's um It's crazy, and I know so many. It's not just the creatives either. It's the 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 technical stuff. You know, all of my techs who I tour with, my lighting technicians, my sound guys, my stage management crew. You know, they're all trying to find new work. And I I know people from the um, you know from from huge tours with massive artists, much bigger than me, who have been doing this since before I was born who are now working for delivery companies, and I think um, I think the, the effects on the, the creative industries at large of this whole pandemic—I uh, don't think we've fully realised them yet.
3: I, yeah, because you can't assume that those people will ever go back again. You know, even when things come back—if things go back to normal—they'll they'll now be earning their living on a on a delivery driver or whatever it might be.
4: I, I don't many so, of them will because it, it was a it was an underpaid undervalued profession anyway most of these positions mm-hmm. it was hard enough for people to justify working in the music industry as it was as it is at the moment and as it will be in the near future I, th- I think most people I think most people will probably have gone and got a job and gone huh I get the same money here I work less hours I, I get to leave my work at work and go home and have a, a social life and it it's probably a a More attractive proposition, which I'm sure the government or, or someone else could use to argue, mm. well, then they've now got a better quality of life, so it was a positive thing. But it, it, on an individual level, you could argue it's a positive thing, but I think the damage that this will do to the music and the, the theatre industry, and uh, you know, even film and cinema, I, I think it's going to be quite lasting.
3: Yeah, yeah. Maybe that could. Maybe that could be my last question to both of you. Is 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 assuming the 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 vaccine comes into place and assuming things do get back into normal. Uh, Tom, will you be touring the Chronicles of Nigel? And 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 Laurie, will my un, so far unused ticket to see you in Edinburgh will it uh, will it come into fruition? <laughs> Tom first.
4: Um. Yeah, it, it's going to be a very. Difficult record to talk because if we're going to do it properly, I need to do it with a string quartet and two keyboards, and uh, you know, a, a, there's a, there's a lot of different musical sounds on that record, and I don't know how we would do it live without it costing the earth to put on that show, and and frankly, I, I don't think I sell enough tickets to um, to pay for that. Um, so I don't know. We're going to have a chat with. Um, with the the city of culture people in coventry because coventry um was awarded city of culture and and it's that's going to happen in 2021 i know there's a lot of funding for creative and artistic projects i'm going to have a chat with them to see if if it's going to be within the realms of possibility to release some funding to put the show on or maybe tour the show um failing that we could strip it down and do it a more basic way i'd love to go out and play it but it's going to be the it's going to be very tricky to be able to, um, to to pull it off and do it well, and I don't want to do it badly. So uh, I, I don't know is the answer. I'd love to, but I don't know is the answer right now.
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, good luck le- so- sorting all of all that out, um, Laurie. Laurie, you've got a you've talked already. You've got an album in the pipeline, and I presume you're itching to get out live again. It certainly are. Um, I think
5: June is. When we've been told tours will be back on, fingers crossed everything goes to plan and we don't go into a third lockdown. Um, and in fact, I saw somewhere that hopefully the Edinburgh gig, when we might may potentially be able to meet, will be at the end of May. So that'll be one of the first gigs we do uh, properly. I think before that, maybe there'll be some some scope for some socially distanced sit down shows, maybe in London, but w- we. D- don't expect to have any proper tours until then, until June,
3: yeah. And Laura's got tickets for it as well, so we, we will be there whenever it comes around. <laughs> uh, but it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much, Tom. I hope the album goes down as well as it deserves to do. And Laurie, when yours comes out, the same same thing. We're looking forward to hearing that. So thank you very much, and, and thank you to Laura as well. So it's been great to thank talk you. to you. Great.
5: Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really great chat.
3: Thank you, guys. What do you call that noise? You can find out more about making pints for Nigel at alphabetbrewing.co.uk you can find out more about Squid at squidband.uk. And you can find out more about Tom Clark and the Chronicles of Nigel at tomclarkmusic.bigcartel.com. And that's uh, Clark with an E on the end of, of his surname. Thanks again to Alex Parkinson, Laura Wade, Laurie Nankavell, and Tom Clark. And of course to the Patreon supporters who include Pink Things, Humble Daisies, and these mighty fine Knights in Shining Karma, Mats Anderson. Terry Arnott, Dan Barrow, Matt Bell, Kevin Burt, Liam Duggan, Jamie Dunn, Helen Fay, Robert Graham, Robert Lawlor, Dennis LeCourier, Liz Lynch, Murray Meikle, Kevin Murray, Karen Neal, James Newell, Amy Parkinson, Mark Reed, James Reimer, Simon Slateholm, Michael Sutcliffe, Mark Thomas, Nigel Waller, and William Wilkstrom. If you'd like to support the XTC podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher. See you next time. What do you call that noise? Head to xtclimelight.com where you can buy my two XTC books. First, there's the XTC Bumper Book of Fun for Boys and Girls, which is an anthology of Limelight, the XTC fanzine I made from 1982 to 1992. We had
1: a couple of lifelines to the world and, and Limelight was one of them.
3: So the book is the XTC Bumper Book of Fun for Boys and Girls. It's stunning. Thank you, Ian Lee. And then, there's What Do You Call That Noise, an XTC discovery book, where you'll find more from the band, plus commentary from musicians including Anton Barbo. For me, it's just simply a life-changing song. And McHugh.
5: It's like a painting
0: by Van Gogh.
3: Jason Faulkner. XTC probably made the most impact on me of, of any band that I can think of. Chris Butler. If there's anything more... Classic
2: XTC E-E-E-E, this is it.
3: And Rick Buckler. It was well produced as well. It had had the support of a great producer. I mean, it really sounded strong. Order your copies of both books at xtclimelight.com. It's a paper and ink net, the internet with added staples.